What pioneering information security technology are some of America's most innovative companies developing? As the managing director of the Security Innovation Network, also known as Cynet, it's John Muir's job to know that. And he's here to discuss innovation in the IT security arena. Hello, I'm Eric Chabro of Information Security Media Group, and I'm pleased to be speaking with John Muir. Welcome, John. Thank you very much. A pleasure to be here. Please take a few moments to tell us what is the Security Innovation Network. Security Innovation Network has the mission of accelerating innovation in the cybersecurity sector to improve our security. The way that we go about that is to foment collaboration between the public and private sector. Uh, and in so doing, we also bring in other parts of the security ecosystem, such as the research community, uh, the, the financial sector, the investors, uh, and all those uh, from the government who are uh, equally interested. So it's a it's a, a broad constituency. You've been tracking as part of your job for about nine years, IT security. And when you started this back in 2003, you identified about 50 categories and about 250 providers and vendors. Today, Synet, I believe, counts about 150 categories of IT security wares with some 1,000 vendors. I'm not surprised by the quadrupling of vendors, but I'm a bit perplexed over the threefold increase in IT security categories. Are there that many more security solutions out there today? Is the market becoming more segmented, or is the IT security community getting better at defining IT security problems and solutions? As the general information technology industry has branched out in all kinds of directions that we couldn't have expected nine or ten years ago, uh, security has had to follow. For example, uh, ten years ago, people weren't too excited about uh, web application security. It wasn't a big deal. Now it's a huge deal. People were not uh, very concerned about mobile device security five or six years ago. Now it's a big deal. So the industry inexorably has to follow the technology that people choose to use. With so many products out there, how can a chief information security officer keep from getting overwhelmed? That is a good question. It's not only an issue of what's out there, what's right for me. It's how much can my organization actually manage? And that's a crucial question. Just because you need some security doesn't mean that necessarily that you're the, you have the right people to manage a product for that specific security application. That has given rise to the managed security services provider industry, which I, I think is a good innovation for some companies. And why so? A lot of these products are getting pretty sophisticated, and you have to have a, a pretty thorough understanding of what you're actually seeing to get the utility out of it. Just having a, a green light that says everything is okay just isn't sufficient these days. And so uh, there's a certain level of skill that's required to get the full value. Not every company can afford to hire that skill or find that skill, and that uh, can be embedded somewhat and uh, sort of spread around with a managed security service provider. Do you have any suggestions on how best to choose one of those? N nothing special. I, I think just to realize that every one of them has its own strong points and weak points, I, I would want to make sure that their strong points align with the risk profile that the board has established for, for a given particular company and that there is a good sense of cooperation. Certainly, I believe some companies have made a mistake thinking that if they just hire a managed security service provider company, that they can sort of abdicate responsibility for what happens on their network and just blame it on them and, and not really stay involved. 
I think it has to be viewed as a partnership where both the company and the service provider work together towards an optimum result. I've been doing some research recently on cloud computing, and this sounds a lot like the way organizations go about vetting cloud providers. That's a similar kind of issue. Again, how much can you manage? And if you could rationalize things by making it, putting it under a hypervisor somewhere in the cloud, you can save an awful lot of money. In fact, the, the savings are are really compelling at the first instance, and so it's, it's hard to resist that temptation to go into the cloud. However, that does not mean we've got better or less security. It just means a different kind of security. And of course, the industry has spawned a whole new sub-segment. We're tracking something like 80 different companies that are now sort of focused on cloud security. Of course, you have to be careful just because they say they're in the cloud doesn't mean they really are. There's lots of companies that simply have one or two of their functions that sort of operate out there in the cloud, and they call themselves cloud security. But then, on the other hand, there are some companies that design their technology from the ground up to be effective in the cloud, and those can be really good choices. Listening to you makes me realize how important really is to understand risk, because uh, it's not just technology is going to protect you. It's understanding what's most important to you in your organization. How important do you see risk assessment and the responsibilities that organizations have in individuals executives, uh, both at the IT, IT security, and at the business level, taking on the responsibility of understanding the risk? I think that's a key point that you're hitting on here. Ultimately, there's lots of risks in any organization, and the board of directors and the management doesn't get a free pass on cybersecurity just because it's new or just because it's somewhat different. The goal is to get to an acceptable level of risk given the profile of the organization. There is no such thing as perfect security, and you couldn't afford it anyway. It's always a trade-off, but certainly a board that says, oh, that's the job of the CIO or the chief information security officer, we won't understand it, we'll just hate some money once in a while, they're putting themselves in a seriously bad position. Sounds as if it's the business itself that has to be responsibility for the security of its assets, whether it's digital or, or real. Well, absolutely. These days, oftentimes, the information systems are as much a part of production as damping mail was for uh, making cars. And the board simply cannot tolerate a situation where they could lose communication with their customers or the inability to deliver their product. It needs to be faced. That doesn't mean that it has to be radically different than what they've done in the past. It's just a sober assessment of what could go wrong, where are we most vulnerable, what could we do about that, what, what's available, and, and let's stay on top of it because it's going to be different in six months. Let's uh, talk a little about what innovation you see in the marketplace. Here's a perplexing problem that organizations are facing, attribution or identifying those who infiltrate IT systems uninvited. What's new in the attribution front? A lot of CISOs are, are tired of always playing defense in the sense of, I'm here, I'm stuck, I'm vulnerable, I'm visible, and everyone can take shots at me from any direction. So there's been a move to make it more difficult for the attacker, uh, if not to you know, re retaliate directly. Some of the newer techniques are uh, things such as anti-reconnaissance products that let you know that you are being probed preparatory for an attack. They look at patterns of behavior and says, uh, this does not correlate to normal usage this looks like someone who's looking for weak spots. And so you get advance notice that something is likely to happen. And based on the type of probe that you're getting, you can get a pretty good indication of what type of attack that might be. 
Another type of product that uh, I've just seen a couple of these are meant to not only perhaps entrap the attacker like a honeypot, but are really meant to confuse and obfuscate. What would happen is when an attack is detected, from the attacker's perspective, all of a sudden the network is reconfigured in a way that's different than they thought it was. They now have a moving target. This is an, a kind of an active defense that raises the cost of making an attack and would probably persuade an attacker there's there's another more vulnerable target somewhere else. Yeah, I heard about that. It, that, that, that kind of product, uh, it, it's not really actually changing things. It's, it's just giving a message out to those who are entering the system that things are changing, correct? I haven't had a chance to look uh, deeply into these, but uh, my understanding is that uh, they actually can present a false picture to an attacker of what he's trying to attack. So he's sort of punching it air. Another problem uh, organizations face is how to how employees share information. In an earlier conversation we had, you mentioned a study that showed a large number of companies use cloud services such as Dropbox, where documents can be shared. What's the security problems with such online collaboration sites, and what kinds of technologies are in the works to help mitigate this problem? Excellent question. In fact, Palo Alto Networks did a study not too long ago and found that I think two-thirds of all the customers that they have, the employees of those companies use services like Dropbox, other online storage services, uh, fairly frequently, gigabytes a month. And this, in essence, poses a, an interesting question. It's sort of like a rogue network. You don't know what's going there. You, you can't see what, what's in there unless you sort of attack it. The problem with Dropbox is they were meant for convenience and visibility as opposed to security. They have only minimal defenses, and those who are interested in seeing what's in that shared space in the sky can fairly easily, from what I've, I've seen, find ways to access that data. In response, there is a, a class of product that's coming out that says, look, uh, we really don't know what device data is going to flow to, but we can say that that sharing is is a high-value activity as long as it's with people that we, we know and trust. And the idea is to wrap each file with encryption and with authorization permissions so that no matter where that file goes, whether it's to someone else's PC, whether it gets on a network, SharePoint, uh, sent off to an iPad, ends up on someone's mobile phone, no matter where that is, that file still remains under the control of the sender who can dictate what policies will allow someone to see it, copy it, use it, print it, etc., and up to revoking permission to see it if they choose to do so. And I think that that makes sense because the, the fundamental accounting unit of uh, information is the file. And by understanding and, and looking at it that way and saying files will flow, that's the nature of, uh, of our environment, and trying to simply accept that as a fact and, and then enact appropriate security around the flow of that file, I, I think that's the right approach. No one ever accused security as being easy, but are some of the innovative products coming out making it easier for people to use them so they are encouraged to use security? Uh, yeah, I think it's an absolutely true fact that the successful security products are the ones that users will actually use. There is the graveyard of security products. These products were perhaps good in the lab and, and, and made sense from a strict security standpoint, but 
they really forgot to understand how the user would deal with this. And if the security is too difficult to wrestle with, if it provides too high an obstacle to getting the job done, people simply find a way around it. And the, the security will be worse than if, if it were not there because now it's covert. The successful products are very much into saying, how do we provide the security without adding to the user burden, without extensive training, without making it so that routine procedures such as backup or auditing or data leakage prevention, that those procedures can go forward unhindered. The really successful products are the ones that have uh, mastered that technique. Well, thank you, John. Oh, you're certainly welcome. I have been speaking with John Muir of Signet, the Security Innovation Network for Information Security Media Group. I'm Eric Chabro. Thanks for listening.